How you doing today, church? Who's excited to be in God's house? Thank you, Pastor Justin, for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys and honored to finally see in person what he's been bragging about you guys for so long. Uh, I met your pastor at a conference, but I didn't know he was a pastor. We were standing out in front of our hotel and this random kind of good looking guy uh, just came over. He was hitchhiking. He asked if he could have a ride to the conference and I had literally never met him. And I'm like, well, he doesn't look like a serial killer. So <laughs> normally don't pick up hitchhikers, but we let him in the car and he just started to talk about his family and, uh, and then how much he loves you, his spiritual family. And he started to brag on you, tell stories about you, and just share about the big faith-filled steps uh, you guys are taking together. And then he started giving me directions on how to get where we were going. And I was like, bro, I barely know you. Don't tell me where to go in my rent car, okay? So we were off to a rocky start. But anyway, he's an, an awesome guy. We've grown to know each other a little bit over the last year, and he's been a huge blessing in my life. And I just, I'm just going to tell you guys, when I go to another church, I always learn something. And uh, I was very, very challenged uh, watching those three people get baptized in the service. You do such a great job of propping up life change and stories and how important it is. And I just want to celebrate that again because it was absolutely incredible. And uh, if anybody at our church is watching, we, uh, watching right now, we're going to change some things about baptism when we get back, because we don't make a big enough deal about it. We baptize a lot of people, but it's just like, boom, boom, done, done, done. And uh, that challenged me. Thank you, Pastor, for, for challenging me and growing me uh, with, with baptism. That was awesome. Uh, like he said, grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and don't hold it against me, because now I live in San Antonio. There are no colleges there. I am neutral. I'm a neutral party for the college thing, all right? Uh, we love San Antonio. Started our church 12 years ago. My wife and I just celebrated 21 years of marriage last week. That was awesome, and really am honored to be with you today. I'd like to share a message with you today, and I'm going to call it, look up here so you get the whole title. I'm going to call the message, This One's Mine. This One's Mine. Will you say the, the title with me? You ready? This One's Mine. All right, I saw one person do it right. Remember, the title's not This One's Mine. The title is, put your fingers up, you got to get it right. The title is, This One's Mine. Okay, now you got it. Now you got it. There's some attitude with this message, okay? If you have a Bible, John chapter 13, you can flip open to John 13. I'll meet you there uh, in just a second. I heard a story about a husband and wife. They'd been married almost 30 years, and they had to go to the doctor because the hus husband wasn't feeling well, and they ended up getting really bad news. He was very, very sick and didn't have much longer uh, left to live. So the, the doctor leaves the husband out in the waiting room. He pulls the wife aside, and he says, I just want you to know this is, this is bad. However, if y'all are willing to make some significant lifestyle changes, he could probably live another eight or maybe even 12 years. And she said, I'll do anything. Tell me. Tell me what we have to do. And the doctor said, well, y'all don't eat, right? You're going to have to start cooking really good, clean, healthy meals three times a day in a very clean environment. You got to keep the house spotless. He can't be around any germs. You might even have to help him bathe, help him to the bathroom. But I'm telling you, if he'll do these things and he gives her this long list, he'll probably live another eight or 12 years. And so she walks back out in the wait, waiting room, and the husband says, what, what did the doctor say? And he's crying, and she said, the, the, the doctor says, he says, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die, because I'm not doing all that. And the joke's funny, but can we admit that sometimes if we're not careful, rather than saying, you know what, I can do that, this one's mine, we get into that mode. 
where it's like, ah, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Jesus, one thing I love about him is everywhere he went, he, he just was so good at, at shocking people with these seemingly irrational acts of love and service. He just knew how to tell a story, how to illustrate a point, how to uh, really cut to people's souls. And ultimately, most of these stories that we have recorded in the New Testament of him doing these things, they're about how you and I are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, um, but residents of planet Earth just kind of passing through, who have this incredible, almost unexplainable joy on the inside, who are people who know how to get that joy on the outside. Amen? And I love how he, he taught us this, and I, I want to share what I think was probably his most shocking moment here in John chapter 13. Let's go to verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Let's push pause right here. I want you to kind of get what's going on. This is probably the craziest week of Jesus's life that we have recorded in the Gospels. It's also the last week of his life before he goes to the cross. Uh, we know that on Monday, uh, Jesus had uh, this, this crazy day. It's kind of one of you know, the classic Jesus stories we remember. It's a day where he cleanses the temple and he's like throwing the tables over. Y'all remember that one? Tuesday, he has probably the, the ugliest fight recorded in Scripture with the Pharisees. Wednesday, it doesn't tell us what Jesus did, but I think it's pretty safe to assume he's probably in a quiet place on one of the hilltops like he often did. He's praying because he knows what's about to happen. He's spending time with his Heavenly Father. And then this story happens on Thursday. He's in this kind of secret location in an upper room. He's having a dinner with his 12 closest guys that he has spent over three years pouring into. He, he kind of gives a final speech. Uh, they have communion together. He, he knows he's about to give his life on the cross, but he also knows he's about to be betrayed by one of the guys that he loves right there in the room with him. And if you flip over to Luke's gospel and read the story, Luke gives a, a little detail um, that, that we don't get here in John. Luke tells us that a little fight breaks out among the disciples an argument, and they sound like junior high boys, y'all. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit next to Jesus in, in heaven one day? And this isn't recorded, but you can kind of assume, like, John, y'all know John was a guy that gave himself the nickname, the one Jesus loves. You read the book of John, he's always calling himself the one Jesus loved. So you know John's like, of course it's going to be me, I'm the one Jesus loves. Not sure if he loves the rest of you, but he loves me. And then you all know Peter walked on water, and you know Peter had to pull that one out of the bag, right? Like, well, I walked on water. Of course I'm going to be the one sitting next to Jesus, guys. And then Bartholomew, yeah, and then you sank. Don't leave that part out. And then everybody else looks at Bartholomew. Shut up, Bartholomew. No one even knows who you are. It's a good Bible joke. Good Bible joke, because we know nothing about Bartholomew in the Bible except for his name, okay? And then Jesus, what he does is he kind of jumps in the middle, and, and he says, guys, remember... The greatest is the one who is willing to lay down his life as a ransom for many. The greatest is the one who's willing to serve. Jesus looks around the room, and I think what he saw was a bunch of really proud hearts and a bunch of really dirty feet. 
proud hearts and dirty feet. And after three years of just teaching these guys and giving every waking moment to, to these guys, kind of advancing the gospel and giving them an understanding of the kingdom of heaven, it, it had to be frustrating, didn't it? To look around and see, like, they're, really, they're still doing this? Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Okay, so here's the big moment. He pushes back from the table, he gets up. They think he's about to give a big speech, but he doesn't. He doesn't say a word. Instead, it says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So it's like he puts on a, a servant's apron, basically. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples, plural, like probably all of them, feet, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, in their day, it's common courtesy. If somebody came to your house to wash their feet for many reasons. One, it was a way to kind of serve your friends that were coming over and to love on them. Um, but also, honestly, it was just a way to take care of your house. Because a lot of them didn't wear shoes. If they did have shoes, it was like open-toed sandals. They had Birkenstocks, y'all know what I'm talking about, all right? And, and they're walking around these dirty streets. There's no modern-day sewage. Oftentimes, the animal stuff, the people stuff even, it's just dumped out in the street. So they're walking through that. That's caked to their feet. So it's like, I want to serve you, but also I just don't want that stuff in my house. And then something, you have to go kind of look at Jewish culture to pick up on this, but oftentimes, um, I wouldn't wash your feet if you came to my house. I would have somebody in my house do that for me, right? Like if it was my house today, my teenager definitely doing this job, <laughs> right? And it was kind of a status symbol even for some people. A way to say, like, I love you, I'm here to serve you, but I ain't, washing, I ain't touching your nasty feet. They're going to do it for me before you come into my house. And so none of the disciples are, are wanting to do this in this moment. Jesus sees the proud hearts, the dirty feet, picks up an apron, starts washing their feet one by one. There's 12 of them. It had to take an hour at least. Think how quiet it must have been because they know this is the Son of God. We should have done this. Oops. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace and the Bread of Life and the Alpha and the Omega. He's the last one in the room that should be doing this. And here he is, stooping down, doing the thing no one else would do. And, and sometimes I just think if we're not careful, especially in a world that is kind of teaching right now that the, that the way we need to live is to just get at each other. You got me, I'll get you better. You say this, I'll say something worse, right? In this culture... It's maybe easier to shine a bright light for the kingdom of God than, than ever before. It's maybe more powerful than ever before in our country to say, you know what, I can do that. This one's mine. I'll do the thing no one else is willing to do. This one's mine. But oftentimes I wonder when, when God tugs on our heart, if instead of saying, I can do that, God, this one's mine, if we say, you know what, I'm too busy. I got too many things going on. I'm too important. Maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe it's just not comfortable. And so we shy away from it. And what happens, unfortunately, is when we do that, like the disciples did this day, we miss that opportunity, maybe the best opportunities ever, to let the joy that's on the inside come out and get out there in the world, right? Verse 12, skip down a little bit. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, now he's going to talk, uh-oh. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do. Do, I want you to do this just as I've done this to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you just have warm fuzzies in your tummy after church today. That's not what he says, right? He says, blessed are you if you what, church? If you do them. If you do them. So he kind of teaches an attitude. I can do that. This one's mine that transforms into an action. I can get out there and serve people. That's serving. Serving is about attitude, but it's also about action. In fact, I would say that serving is not just something we do. It's not just something you signed up for that one time that the church did that one project. Uh, that's great, but it's so much more than that. Serving's not just what we do. A servant is literally who we are. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in this moment. It's not just what we do. It's not just an action. It's also an attitude. But it's also not just an attitude. It's also an action. It goes both ways. We need the whole puzzle. And this is why your pastors uh, wholeheartedly and unashamedly will encourage you to take steps of faith, right? To go all in for the kingdom of God. They understand that here in your community, there, there's people who if you don't do that, man, they may never hear the gospel. They may never have an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. He understands this isn't just church. It's not just a meeting on our calendar. You are the church. In fact, turn to your neighbor on the right. Say, you're the church. Turn to the one on the left. You're the church. Turn to the church hokey pokey, the one behind you. I'm the church. We're the church, right? Sometimes we just need that reminder. Amen? This is an incredible facility. Man, y'all took an amazing faith-filled step. God's not done yet. He's just getting started. But remember, this is not the church. You're the church. This is a tool, a great tool, an awesome tool that God's already doing miracles with. But you are the church. This is us gathering together. You are the church. Never forget that. You are the church, and serving's not just what we do. A servant is who we are. And then here's my favorite part about serving. And this, this radically changed my life when I gave my life to Christ as a teenager. I learned real fast that when you serve others, God does use you to change lives. But in so many ways, the first life he changes is yours. And people that serve understand this. People that serve are like, yes, my life. I mean, I could tell stories of, of other lives changed, but God has changed my life so very much. These are people who understand churches are not buildings. Churches are groups of people, families, that God establishes in communities to do his will and to reach this world and to change this culture. Churches couldn't even own buildings really legally until about 313 AD when Constantine kind of made Christianity uh, legal. And we kind of forget that, right? That we're called to be God's church. Now, what does that look like? I think there's two different modes Two different ways we be God's church. Okay, first, we are called to serve in God's church. Everybody say, in God's church. Amen. We are called to serve in God's church. But then also, we are called to serve as God's church. In God's church, as God's church. In God's church, as God's church. You getting it? In God's church, as God's church. Let's break it down. First, in God's church. What does it look like to serve in God's church? Well, if you've been in church long at all, maybe you've heard it, it talked about, you've read some of the scriptures that God 
has given every believer a, a set of spiritual gifts. You have a unique uh, personality, a unique set of experiences and, and talents in this life, and that's all on purpose. God don't make no junk, y'all, all right? Sorry, West Texas, I grew up, it came out of me. God don't make no junk, all right? Only beautiful, designed people full of purpose that, that need to have that ignited in God's church. And in scripture, you find all these different lists of spiritual gifts, and, and you kind of got to go all over scripture to find them all. But one of the lists I like is in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to put the list up here on the screen. I want you to kind of eyeball it. So in Romans 12, we see these spiritual gifts. It's not a, a full listing. There's many other gifts, but this is some. Uh, serving, teaching, uh, encouragement, the gift of, of giving, of, of generosity, the gift of leading, uh, the gift of, of kindness, and the gift of prophecy, and just for clarity, prophecy is not like telling the future, like, you know, the world's going to end tomorrow morning or whatever. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is sharing God's truth with God's people in the world. That's what prophecy is. I would assume that your pastors are probably spiritually gifted when it comes to prophecy. And what we often do is we look at lists like this and we start wondering, which one's me? And I think, you know, we have all kinds of tools and spiritual gift assessments, and those are awesome. You should totally use those. But I think sometimes we make it a little harder than it is. And I just wanted to show you kind of by using a cupcake as an example. Is there someone who'd be willing to help me eat just a little part of this cup? Would you, would you help me eat this cupcake, bro? Come up here. <laughs> Justin, I'm so sorry, dude. <laughs> Please have me back. That's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. We, bro, can we still be friends? <laughs> Has anyone made a mess on your stage yet, brand new? I am so sorry. <laughs> I feel terrible. Um, let's see if we can salvage this. <laughs> okay, listen, so when the cupcake went down, just eyeball the list behind me. If you were immediately like, oh my gosh, we gotta clean this up. Somebody get a mop. Can, can you get me a, a mop and I'll clean this up right now? Which gift do you have? Serving. The gift of serving. It's not rocket science, right? Just like think about what kind of comes out of you. If you saw me drop it and you thought, you know what, I'm gonna get this guy a brand new cupcake right after church. I'm gonna rain down cupcakes on the entire church family next weekend is cupcake weekend. Which gift, which gift do you have? Giving. Spiritual gift of giving, by the way. Uh, giving is a command in the Bible, but it's also a spiritual gift that some people have. Can we make some noise for the givers? Because a lot of times, yeah. None of this would have happened without givers, and, and a lot of times givers get overlooked in church. So givers, we see you, and we are so grateful for you using the spiritual gift in this God has given you. Um, when I dropped the cupcake, if you wanted to start bossing everyone around, you know, send someone to the store to get me some new shoes, if cupcake got on my shoes, and, and you know, get some, some, someone to clean that, and you're like, you get them up, you, and you're clapping at people, come on people, this is church, we got stuff to do. Which gift do you have? Leading, you're bossy, yeah. <laughs> but we love you, and we need, we need you, right? If you looked at that and you said, that's okay, man, it's all good. I dropped a cupcake one time, eight second rule, pick it up and eat it, it'd be fine. We're gonna get through this. You can, which gift do you have? Encouragements. If you just wanted to run up here and hug me and just, it's okay. <laughs> I don't think you're an idiot, but you're probably never coming back. It's okay. Which gift do you have? Kindness. You have the gift of kindness. If you're like, this guy, I have been studying cupcakes in the original Hebrew and Greek languages, and there is a better way, according to the Bible, to present a cupcake to a church. The original Hebrew for cupcake is the word uga. Which gift do you have? 
Teaching. You got the gift of teaching if that's you, right? By the way, that really is the Hebrew word for cupcake. Uga. Don't say the guy from Texas didn't teach you anything. All right, y'all? And last, if you're like, this guy is such an idiot. He dropped a cupcake. Who does something like that? I can't believe it. You cupcake dropper, and you're just calling me out, and you don't even care if you sound a little bit mean. Which gift do you have? Prophecy. Y'all are like, is this one a trick? I'm not sure. Yeah, the gift of prophecy, the gift of telling God's truth. Okay, what does it look like applied inside of God's church? Okay, so forget the cupcake now, all right? It looks like this. Okay, so the teenagers need more adults to to be a spiritual guidance and, and voice in their life. I was a teenager once. I, I mean, I didn't face the exact same things that they're facing, but I've been through that. I can do that. This one's mine. Oh, they need more people to serve in the nursery. I had kids. I wiped baby bottoms for like four years. I could wipe some baby bottoms for the glory of God. I can do that. This one's mine. Oh, they need help in the kids ministry, teaching kids about Jesus. Cause I know y'all don't babysit. I know y'all teach kids about Jesus from day one, right? I can do that. This one's mine. We need more people to greet and to park cars and to make the coffee and to make this church a warm, welcoming place where everybody feels like they can be accepted and they can be a part. I can do that. This one's mine. That's what it looks like inside the church. We serve in the church. We're called to serve in the church. Jesus said to the disciples, guys, the greatest is the one who serves. And I just want you to know, no matter who you are, no matter how God built you and what your gift might be, I, I just pray that you'll figure that out and that you'll activate it in God's church for God's glory, just like these people. Look at this picture. You've got an incredible team here at Velocity Church. I've met some of them. One of your team members, uh, my, my flights got messed up last night, and one of your team members had to pick me up at the airport at 1230. And then drive, I don't think he probably got home till 1.45 or 2 based off where he lives. And he just did it. He just smiled. I could tell he was tired, but he just smiled and he just served God with the giftedness that he had. Look at these people. Here's what I love about these pictures. None of them are like, okay, now i got to go serve or God will hate me, right? That's not their demeanor. They're smiling. They're happy. They're not like, we got to do this. They're more like, we get to do this. We get to serve in God's church. We get to make a difference. We get to do God's will. I love that. They're not spiritual consumers, they're spiritual contributors, people who echo the heart of Jesus when he said, my food is to do the work of he who sent me and to finish that work till the day I die, I will be building the church of God and the kingdom of God because we're all called to serve in God's church. But then what was the second part? We're also called to serve as God's church. So inside these walls, but also outside these walls, in the community, in the world, wherever God takes us, and it's gotta be both. It must be both. In Matthew 5, Jesus calls us the light of the world. And, and he basically says, if you're the light of the world, and if the world is so dark, why would you like just hide everything I've put in you under a bucket? Why wouldn't you, you prop it up on a lampstand and hold it high so the whole world can see it and respond to it and, and so that people could be drawn to the kingdom of God? He's talking about serving outside of the church as God's church. And this is where we really get to let that joy that's on the inside come out. Amen? And so one of the ways this happens in my life often is uh, in the grocery store, because one of my spiritual gifts is I'm just tall enough to reach the top shelf in the grocery store. And short people will ask me for help all the time. So when we first started the church, I think we were like a year and a half old, I'm in the grocery store, and have you ever been somewhere in public and you, you feel like someone's looking at you, but you don't want to look? I had that feeling. And I look over, and sure enough, there's a an older lady and she's really short and she's right down the aisle and she's looking at me. So I'm like, here we go, Jesus. And I walk over to her and I'm like, 
can I help you? And she, she looked at me and she said, are you that one guy? And I was like, yeah, that one guy that's about to get you the pickles off the top shelf. <laughs> and it turned out she had been to our church once before, had come with a friend. I said, can I help you? And she said, yeah, would you, would you get me that? And I'm, I'm like, watch this here. Boom. You're welcome in the name of Jesus. Be blessed. And I gave her the pickles and she said, thank you. And I said, well, we'd love for you to come back to church anytime. If you ever need anything, give us a call. And she said, okay, have a good day. And I turn around and I start walking away. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I had one of those moments where it felt like God like physically stopped you. I felt like he stopped me physically. And, and I could feel him speaking to my heart, turn around and pray for her. And I'll just be honest. I'm not going to elaborate. I'm not going to make, make up a story that didn't happen. I wish I could say like, so I turned around and I said, this one's mine. But I didn't have a good heart that day. And I was kind of arguing with God in the grocery store. You mean, don't you mean pray for her when she comes to church, God? You mean like right now in the grocery store? That just feels weird, God. But I knew I needed to do it. So I turned around, I walked back over to her, and I just said, can I pray for you? She said, yeah. I said, can I put my hand on your shoulder and just pray? She said, please do. So I put my hand on her shoulder. I didn't even know what to pray for. I'm praying the worst prayer ever. Jesus, thank you for letting me get the pickles off the top shelf and bless this woman. Amen. Right? But as I'm praying, I hear her start to cry. And it wasn't like, you know, a, an, an easy cry. It was one of those ones you're like, wow, something is going on. So I say amen, and I open my eyes, I'm like, are you okay? She's just sobbing, and she says, my husband used to get the stuff off the top shelf at the grocery store for me, and he just passed away two weeks ago. And she said, and I'm so lonely, and we're kind of new to the area, only been here a little over a year, and I don't really know anyone. I start crying with her, you know? Isn't that cool how God will use you even when your heart's not right? Like he'll use you if you'll just open up your, your heart a little bit, even if you don't really get the attitude right, sometimes he'll still use you in such an incredible way. That woman ended up getting connected to our church families, got a support system now, got friends now, has, has found peace now. And she's such an active part of the, the church. And I love that God will just use us when we say, God, give me the eyes to see, the ears to hear. God, the heart to notice and to care and to stop and you know, the thing about that is, I want to remind you, we're not saved by our good works. I'm, I'm not like more special because I did that that day, but we are saved for good works. We're saved by the good works of Jesus Christ alone, by his goodness, by his perfection, but he, he wants us to respond. So how does it look to say this one's mine as God's church out in the world? Well, it looks like this, okay? So Teachers, educators, you're not, you're not just a teacher teaching curriculum. You're a teacher bringing heaven to that classroom. Some of those kids, they'll never be prayed for. And I know your hands are tied, and maybe you can't pray out loud for them, but you can pray silently for them. You can pray over them. You can be the difference maker in that classroom. If you work in a bank, you're not just a, a teller passing money through a window all day. You're the person bringing heaven to that bank lobby changing the, the little part of the world that, that God has given you. If you're a plumber or an electrician, you're not just a tradesman, you're a blessing to us because we don't know how to do that stuff. And we need people like you. And if you're retired, okay, you're not just a retired person. You are someone with some extra time that can do incredible things in the kingdom of God. And we need you. 
We need you. If you are a nurse or, or a doctor, you work in the medical field, you, you're not just saving physical lives, you're saving people spiritually. You're rescuing people from hell. And it's beautiful and it's biblical and it's brilliant how God puts us in these places. But if we don't have the right attitude to say, this one's mine, I'll serve as God's church out in the world, and we only get the inside God's church, man, hate to tell you, but nothing in the world will ever change. We're not perfect people, but we do meet needs, and we are the church with a calling. And, and if you will wake up every day and you'll say, this one's mine, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it won't be a perfect day, it never really is, but you'll put your head on your pillow and you'll feel like you made a difference, and your life will be so much better. But spend every day only on yourself, and you'll go to bed, you'll put your head on your pillow, feeling very empty at the end of the day. Invest in others, Jesus said, that's what makes you great. And one fine little point, and then I'll wrap this thing up. When we do serve people with these acts of kindness and love, and when we do wash people's feet, so to speak, by serving them, we need to make sure we use our words, amen? The way they'll get that full measure and fully start to understand the joy that's on the inside, it's not just because we fed them. I love that your church is going to feed a family because you turned in connection cards. How awesome is that? That is so cool. But if all we do is feed them and we never put our words to it, they could miss the full weight and importance of the gospel. The gospel can be shown, but it always has to be spoken verbally, out loud. So I want to encourage you to connect the dots for people. And when people look at you and they're like, why are you doing this to say, because I'm a Christ follower and God has radically changed my life and God loves you so, so much. And I'm someone that says this one's mine and I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to be who God has called me to be. I just believe with all my heart that the government's not going to change the world around us, that the local church is what changes the world around us. And it changes when we say this one's mine, this one's mine. Proverbs 3 tells us not to withhold good if we have the power to do it. Not to withhold it, but to get out there and do it. So listen, if, if this is your church, or maybe you're visiting, and you know, you're visiting family, you go to church in some other state or something, wherever you go to church, okay? If you're not using your gifts, you're missing out, and we're missing out, and the world's missing out. You're part of the body of Christ. You're not an accident. You have gifts, power, purpose inside of you, and it's got to come out of you inside the church, because we all need each other. I need you, you need me, we need we. But also outside of the church, because the world needs us to be the light in these dark days. Could it be that if you're not saying, this one's mine, and there's no attitude and there's no action that resembles what Jesus taught us in this very powerful passage, that what you have is a proud heart, and there's a lot of dirty feet around you that are never gonna get washed. People that are gonna miss out on the power of the gospel. I don't know about you, I've always refused to sit in the seats everybody else paid for. I refuse to drop my kids off at the kids area and everyone else does all the work. I refuse to, to just come in and drink the coffee and you know take all the handshakes but not be someone that brings that kind of culture to the church. I wanna be involved. I wanna be somebody that makes a difference. I wanna say this one's mine. I wanna be like this family. Look at this family, I think you might know them. This is a family that said, okay, God, Lawrence, Kansas? Yeah, I can do that. This one's mine. Don't you love that? They could have done anything. Your pastor could have been the biggest fashion designer in the world by now. But instead, he chose to say, this one's mine. Pastor Justin and Marissa, 
said, we'll, we'll move our family to Lawrence. We'll say this one's mine. And look, almost 11 years later, look at what God's done. Just look around the room. Think about the baptisms. Lives changed, a community that is being changed. God's not done yet, y'all. He is, I know it's 11 years. Think about that. You're a sixth grader. Our church is 12 years old. I always joke, we're a junior high kid. That's what we are. We got a long way to go and God is just getting started with what he wants to do here at Velocity. I believe it with all my heart. I can sense it. I can feel it in the conversations we've had, the stories that I've heard, seeing these three people get baptized. I'm telling you, if you'll go all in and say, this one's mine, you will see absolute miracles here. And even this building one day, you'll be like, well, we got to get a bigger place. We got to get a stronger tool, more horsepower. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?